Good morning, and what a good morning it is to be in church and to be here on Good Friday. Um, So as Scott said, the Bible reading today is from Luke 23, verses 26 to 49. And if you um, have opened this Bible, it is on page 748. So join with me as we read this account of Jesus. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place of the skull, they there, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers who came up and mocked him, They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, saying, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Uh, Let us come before our Lord friends now in a time of prayer and ask God to help us understand this part of his word and enjoy the benefits of it. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for gathering us today. Uh, We thank you for giving us uh, this message from your word which gives us hope in life. Lord, this Good Friday, thank you for your kindness to us in Christ. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, I wonder how you feel about Good Friday. Uh, it's, it's an interesting day for, for the Christian's calendar because there can be mixed feelings as we uh, think about, about how uh, there's benefits uh, to us for what Jesus has done. And yet, it's, it's hard in some ways to feel joyful as we uh, read about these awful things that happened to Jesus. So it's a, it's a day that uh, seems to have mixed feelings for Christians. It's, we're given the name Good Friday, uh, and I think that's because of the results of it. And so the tone of this passage this morning ref, reflects those mixed feelings, doesn't it? Uh, on the one hand, it's a, it's a dreadful moment. It's an awful moment uh, in the life of Jesus as he's humiliated and then crucified. And yet... On the other hand, uh, this passage has reminders of hope for us and it gives us assurance of, um, of where we stand with God as a result of what Jesus has done for us. Even the uh, riddle that Jesus gives, sometimes riddles are, are more sort of buoyant and uh, happy, you know, uh, what's black and white, black and white and white and white and white, there's a, a riddle for you. Uh, that's a, a penguin rolling down a snow, snow slope. Um, that's, some riddles are kind of fun, uh, but even the riddle that we get in this one about the trees has a dark meaning to it. Now, I don't know what you like at solving riddles. Uh, sometimes it takes me a while to figure them out. I think my kids don't think I can figure them out. But did you notice there was a bit of a riddle for us to figure out in the passage today? It wasn't one of those funny ha-ha riddles either. And what Jesus hints about in it is quite bleak. You see it there in verse 31 if you're following in the passage. He says, For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Good question. What will happen to the tree when it's dry? Let's think about that riddle just for a moment because it sheds light uh, on some warnings in this passage. Who are the men that Jesus refers to and what's he saying about these trees? Well, the men appear to be the Romans, in fact the Roman soldiers and the things that they're doing is mistreating Jesus. In this riddle we've got two trees, don't we? We have a green tree and a dry tree. And normally, when it comes to uh, being useful for a fire, you, you tend to leave the, the green trees and the, and the green branches alone, don't you? Um, when you're going on a camping trip, you, you start hunting around to find uh, not the green branches to put on, on the fire, but you look for the dry ones. The dry ones are going to be the ones that you're going to find because they'll become helpful, they'll become useful to, to use to get the campfire going. And so what's Jesus saying about himself with this message about these two kinds of trees? And what's he saying about the situation of Israel? Well, I think Jesus is saying he's actually a bit more like the green tree. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't bother with the branches that are green for your fire or you wouldn't bother hacking down a green tree if you're going to start a fire on a camping trip. He's more like a green tree. He's no real threat to Rome. He comes as the Prince of Peace. 
He taught his followers to love their neighbours, to pray even for their enemies. Uh, He taught his followers, if someone asks you to carry something one mile, carry it too. And that that might have included carrying a Roman's Roman's haversack. Jesus healed people. He showed compassion to the poor and to the outcast. And he even taught people to pay their taxes, to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to give to God, which is, we're made in the image of God, to give to God what is God's. Jesus is like the green tree. Was he much of a threat to the Romans? Well, what we see is if they're willing to do this to Jesus, uh, what would they do to political revolutionaries who'd mix amongst the people and cause an uprising? What would they do to other Jewish freedom fighters and their sympathisers? If they're doing this to Jesus, what's going to happen to them? And so... Whilst Jesus represents the green tree, those kinds of people and their followers represent the dry tree. And presumably the Romans are ready to meet those head on. And so this morning in this passage, Jesus gives a warning. He gives a a warning about destruction that is to come. And we see this, if we pick it up, if you're following there, in verse 27... We read a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless, childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they'll say, to the mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when the tree, when it is dry? Well, destruction uh, was to come and it did come as Jesus said. Uh, The women who had uh, conceived babies at around that time uh, later on would see some of their children die Under the Romans, as Emperor Vespasian and his son Titus uh, waged war against Israel uh, and as a a target point, it was uh, Jerusalem and the temple. They built uh, large battering rams that knocked holes through the fortified city, through the walls, and to scotch the uprising, further uprisings that would come, uh, they decided to demolish Jerusalem almost entirely and the temple. They left only what's called the the Western Wall or what's known as the Wailing Wall. And there's a story, it seems to accord with what could have happened in history, that um, in the fire, even the gold that was collected uh, and the gold that was there melted and ran between gaps in the masonry, which led to an incentive for people to pull all the blocks apart to get at the gold. It was this awful scenario, this destruction uh, that Jesus was alluding to and was saying at that time it would be, be to be better without child uh, when that time came. So Jesus was uh, warning Israel. They'd rejected him as the servant king that God had provided 
even though he uh, called them to repent and to come to him for salvation. Uh, Jesus uh, was sad about that fact too, that they'd rejected him. He says in Luke 13 that uh, he was like a, a mother hen who longed to protect her chicks and shield them, but they didn't follow Jesus. They, they chose a different kind of path. The people on the whole seemed to be more focused on an earthly kingdom than the kind of kingdom that Jesus was offering them. As Jesus rode into town uh, earlier on a donkey, they, they might have thought more about the time like when Solomon was uh, being enthroned king that we, we read about in 1 Kings chapter 1 where uh, King David puts Solomon on his donkey and, and sends him out with Nathan the prophet and Zadok the priest to be uh, anointed and enthroned as king. And as Jesus rides into town on a donkey, they might have been thinking, this is, this is it. This is our big chance to have a military-style kingship, a pathway to the kingdom of God that involves throwing out the Romans. And yet, instead, Jesus calls them to trust in him as God's servant king who brings in a different kind of kingdom, a kingdom that's, uh, that's greater than the earthly expectations they had, a kingdom that's, that's cosmic in its scope, a kingdom which comes in all fullness at the end of the ages. And those who belong to that kingdom are the ones who trust in Jesus and not some earthly king. They trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And Israel needed to repent from, from trusting in that military style of king and trying to bring in the kingdom of God that way. But that's not something we uh, typically think about repenting of, is it? Uh, bringing in a, a military-style kingdom of God. Um, instead, we need to think about repenting of forgetting about God. People in our society and people like ourselves, we need to forget. We need to repent from trusting in ourselves. We need to repent of living for ourselves. On this morning, this uh, Good Friday morning. We remember Jesus and the way that he brings us into God's kingdom. We see pretty clearly that the, uh, the Jews rejected that way. They'd, they'd preferred to have um, the murderer and insurrectionist Barabbas released instead of Jesus. And we see that continued tone of rejecting Jesus as their king in the passage that was read to us today. If you pick it up there at verse 32, it says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Now, although Jesus is uh, numbered among the transgressors, we know that he's not one of them. As Jesus is crucified, he's not like other revolutionaries who might have uh, offered curses for their tormentors. 
Instead, he asks God the Father to forgive them. At his crucifixion, there are sceptics about his kingship. They laugh at him and say, you saved others, save yourself. And finally, there's a bit of mockery with uh, some cheap, nasty wine, this wine vinegar that's offered like a, a king might have a cupbearer. And so the people are having a fine time mocking Jesus. He's not the kind of king they anticipated. They don't yet have a clearer picture of the scope of his kingdom. They don't have a picture of Jesus' cosmic kingdom that, that is to come. But in the next few verses, Jesus reminds us about that kind of kingdom to come. It's a kingdom that transcends the earthly reality before them. And he speaks about that kingdom with those who are about to die. In verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? And he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, today you will be in with me in paradise. Jesus speaks about uh, paradise as being equivalent to being with him in the kingdom of God. And this uh, wonderful little story, we see uh, the offering of hope and life to a, a desperate and dying man. In the face of imminent death, this guy is given some great encouragement and assurance. It's a comfort to a man who needs a saviour. It's a nice moment, isn't it? He's given this assurance. And as much as we might like to um, distance ourselves from criminals, uh, as much as we might like to distance ourselves from people like that guy who was dying on the cross next to Jesus, the fact is we share much in common with him, don't we? To begin with, we're part of the same species, aren't we? He was a human and so are we. That man, we know he was there as a criminal. He wasn't perfect, and yet we still know that we're not perfect as well. And if you're ever in any doubt about that, just ask the people who live with you. I'm sure you'll get a, a good uh, little, little response there. Furthermore, his life was coming to an end. It was coming to an end pretty rapidly, but so are ours. He grappled with his need for Jesus. And we need also to grapple with our need for Jesus too, don't we? This man seems to be conscious of his shortcomings. In verse 41, he's, he's somewhat self-aware, you might say. We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he comes to Jesus asking for mercy and grace. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Wow, this is a, a poignant moment, isn't it? This is it for this guy. Uh, this is the end of the line, right here as we read about it. But the question is, uh, really, for people like us, are you and I ready for that time? 
Are we ready to meet God like this man's about to meet God? Now, to uh, encourage the youth group to think a bit about the shortness of their lives or their mortality a few years ago, we used to play a game called the Game of Life. Uh, And it was was an intriguing game. I don't know who enjoyed the game more, me or the youth group kids, uh, because what we'd have was uh, a whole stash of fake money that we'd give to the kids, just loads of it. And then we'd have different stalls around the room where we'd have a stall where you'd have these really good pictures of great cars, you know, fast cars, Ferraris and Porsches and things like that. And then there'd be stalls where you could go and uh, pick a holiday to go to go to the snow or go to the Great Barrier Reef and, and they, they could spend their fake money on these things. You could go and have a game of Uno and try to win a bit more fake money. And uh, we had to, the kids could even hand out money over to, to get to the Red Cordial. That was a, that was a big hit. <laughs> It's always good to give the kids the red cordial just before they go home to mum and dad. That wasn't red cordial. So uh, in this game of life we play with these kids, it was fantastic. Everybody was hooking right in. They were all excited. It was all a bit of a buzz. Maybe spending their fake money. And of course, at some point during the game, there was somebody dressed up with a black hoodie uh, holding a a broomstick with a bit of a a silver foil um, blade on it. And uh, this was the Grim Reaper. And of course, the Grim Reaper would be then sort of walking around a bit like C-3PO. And uh, he would be coming up to the kids and a kid would see him, of course, and of course the kid would sort of duck to another, another stall and sort of try to dodge the Grim Reaper and then get caught up in the game. But after a while, the Grim Reaper, once he'd set his eyes on one of the kids, that was it. He'd stalk him for a while and then when the kid wasn't looking, he'd get a tap on the shoulder. And what did that mean? Well, the kid was out of the game. And what did he do? He took all his fake money and said, here you go, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm, I'm on the bench. And that was it. That game of life that the kids uh, found so enjoying came to an end. And what did they learn? Well, that's a bit like life, isn't it? We can have a field day. We can enjoy going on our holidays to the Great Barrier Reef, to the snow. We could look at getting a new fantastic car. We can drink red cordial, all sorts of good things in life is a real blessing but it does come to an end and we learn in our deaths that we're not in control we're not God and we have to meet God well it was coming to an end for this guy on the cross wasn't it and we're a bit like him it's coming to an end for us as well but are you and I going to be like him in having that trust in Jesus have our trust in the right place as we get ready to meet God the Bible describes the death of Jesus as, as a, a very important event, a critical event, event where he, he pays for our sin. He dies there amongst criminals, but he's not one of the criminals. As was noted, he's done nothing wrong. He's there in our place. He's there as our substitute. He willingly goes to the cross that we might enjoy a sin-bearing sacrifice that we don't have to face the holy God who cannot tolerate sin. Instead, Jesus bears our sin in our place. Uh, There's other 
commentary on on this death of Jesus in other parts of the Bible. Uh, Later in the book of Acts, Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders and he encourages them to serve God's church, but he, he describes God's church in this way. He says, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And it reminds us it's through the blood of Jesus shed on our behalf on the cross that pays for our sin. And it, and it brings us new life with God. We're brought into a living relationship with God through what Jesus has done for us. That's the really good news about Good Friday. Uh, we, we sing about that normally, except in COVID times, but I was encouraged this week uh, to read that even the newspaper acknowledges that the churches can begin singing again. And I was encouraged to hear the comments in the newspaper when the, the uh, reporter interviewed the Anglican Dean of Sydney, a man called uh, Kanishka Raphael, I think that's how you say his name. He said, it's, great, it's a great joy to be singing again, especially at Easter time when we celebrate God's love for us and Jesus' victory on the cross over sin and death. We celebrate God's love for us and Jesus' victory on the cross over sin and death. That's what he said. Well, in this final section, we we do see it's a time of foreboding, though, uh, as darkness covers the land. In this story, we see the curtain of the temples torn in two. Perhaps that symbolises the end of the old covenant and end of sacred space and place. And the beginning is of the new covenant where we enjoy life with God through Jesus, the perfect lamb, the lamb of sacrifice. We see in the end of the story that the centurion agrees with the, the conclusion of the criminal that surely this was a righteous man. Jesus didn't die as a lawbreaker, but Jesus died as the perfect son of God for us. This Easter, although there's mixed feelings as we see what, what um, Jesus has done for us, let's, let's still rejoice in his willingness to go to the cross for our sake. Uh, let's be strengthened in our faith as we, as we see his compassion for us and the fact that his uh, blood pays for our sin. Let's give thanks to God that uh, Jesus was there as a substitute in our place. He's, he's numbered with the transgressors, but he's not one of them. In fact, I think there's um, even some more singing to be done. So as we move to a, a time of song, let us celebrate God's love for us and Jesus' victory on the cross over sin and death for us. Let us close in a word of prayer and then we'll sing. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you uh, for this day, this Good Friday, when we remember your love for us in Christ. Now, please forgive us for being people who don't always uh, live with Jesus as King in every department of our lives. Instead, we sometimes do forget about you, Lord. And we pray that you forgive us for, for being people who aren't always grateful for your kindness and your grace to us. But we do give you thanks for the salvation from our sin that we enjoy in Christ and we give you thanks that we can enjoy life with you both now and uh, into eternity. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to walk closely with you and enjoy 
the life that you've given to us in Christ. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.